Good morning. If I don't know you or you don't know who I am, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really glad that you're here with us this morning. We're continuing on in our series um, where we're looking at um, our values of a church, our values as, as Providence Road Church. Um, recently, we reworked we, we those, and we uh, tried to make those a little bit more... Um, Oh, easy to understand and wrap your minds around so you, we can actually do things out of the values. But we always start with our mission statement, and that is uh, Providence Road exists to glorify God by leading people to find freedom and joy in Jesus. And that's the graphic you saw a minute ago was freedom and joy in Jesus. That's what we're naming this because really that's what we're all about. If we just say, what do we want people to experience as a result of being at Providence Road, it's freedom and joy in Jesus. That's what we, our prayer is, that's what we want for everybody. And we're working through the five values we have as a church. And um, the five values will be up here so you can see those. We want you to become familiar with these. Uh, we've covered in this series so far gospel centrality and formative community. Those are the last two weeks. Today we're looking at everyday discipleship. Everyday discipleship. And we define that <clears throat> by saying this. We know love, and obey Jesus. You heard the three kind of components there. We know, we love, and obey Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, living out the values of the kingdom of God, okay? And, and these values will flow in and out of one another. We start with gospel centrality. Um, it's how we believe. It's the good news that saves us. It's the power of salvation to all who believe, and it's found in his word, and the word is the primary formative influence as we grow as disciples. And we do that in community, which we talked about last week. The question becomes, what, what should community be about? What's the aim of community? And it really is discipleship. We want to have communities of followers of Jesus who are discipling each other in all sorts of different ways. And also welcoming people that don't know Jesus to um, hopefully make disciples of them too. If they're responding to the gospel and our love for them. So disciple, let's talk about disciple or discipleship. This is a, um, call this kind of a junk drawer word in the Christian circles, right? We throw that out that word a lot and um, everyone maybe has a different meaning, a different take on it. Um, and I think maybe sometimes it's become watered down. So let's just go back to the scriptures. And when disciple or discipleship is mentioned, really disciple, um, the Greek word for that is mathetes. Mathetes, so that means learner. So when you see disciple in the New Testament, you should see learner. Now, this can be, when we, when we talk about this um, in the church, we could talk about spiritual formation, sanctification, big theological word, how people grow, how we look more like Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Those are all aiming at this idea of discipleship or being a learner, being a learner. Now, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. Three times in the New Testament, and they're all used in a derogatory way from the Christian's enemies at that time saying the little Christ. So that's what a Christian means, little Christ. But it's only used three times, whereas um, disciple is used over 250 times in the scriptures. That should communicate to us how important this word is. And actually, the, from, from the community, within the community, people who were more um, um, attractive to the Christians in, in the early church and when the, the scriptures were written, it was, they were called followers of the way. Followers of the way. There was this way that they were living that was so radically different that people started referring to them as followers of the way. That's how different their lifestyles looked. 
So let's go back to this idea of learner. Learner seems to us a very intellectual word. It seems like a a word that we would use when we kind of sit in a classroom and kind of soak up information. Now, that's part of being a disciple, a small part of it, uh, but it's so much more than that. And I think the the biblical idea, the picture that the scriptures communicate is really this idea of apprenticeship, apprenticeship. And Jesus, as he did discipleship, really comes out of the the rabbinical tradition. Jesus modeled his his way of formation and his way of discipleship after the the Jewish rabbis. That was what was most familiar to him at the time. People often call him rabbi in um, the Gospels. We see that. And a rabbi... Um, would choose his followers, and there was also a, a kind of a, an application process, if you will, for the popular rabbis. Everybody wanted to study under certain rabbis, and they were apprenticing these people that were under them that they chose eventually in the way of the Torah. In the way of the Torah, back then, the first five books of the Old Testament, this was the way that they were um, apprenticing them in the way of the Torah, to live a life that aligned with the Torah, which were the, the, the holy books, the scriptures for an Orthodox Jewish person. So this idea of apprenticeship, though, is foreign to us. We really don't understand it too much in our day and age. And so we think that the first place I think and pictures I get of apprenticeship is uh, from movies, right? Think of Star Wars, right? It's kind of the way of the Jedi. You have Yoda being the primary, like, um, appre- uh, the, the, the master, Master Yoda, they call him. And he is apprenticing um, Luke uh, Skywalker in those movies, right? He's not just showing him the, the skills with a lightsaber. He's actually showing him a way of life, the way of the Jedi. The way the Jedi are spoken of in this, the Star Wars universe, it's like this way of living, this way of being, way, the way of thinking, And then it also includes, obviously, the combat, but there's more to that than just how to use a lightsaber. You also see this in movies uh, like Karate Kid. For the youngsters in the room, it's more Cobra Kai, right? And um, you see Mr. Miyagi, especially in the early Karate Kid movies, Mr. Miyagi takes Daniel under his wing, and Daniel wants to learn karate. He's highly motivated to learn karate, primarily to protect himself, but Miyagi slows him down and shows him the way of a karate student, teaches him to... To, to stuff through waxing the car, painting the floor, all of these kinds of things. And he's showing them a, 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 a way of living, not just how to use karate to fight. Now, say in this idea of spiritual formation or discipleship, um, I, much of the application, much of what you'll hear today actually comes from guys like um, James K.A. Smith, um, Dallas Will- Willard, John Mark Comer is another guy writing a lot about this. So I've gathered a lot from these guys in how we think about spiritual formation. They've all written books and have podcasts and stuff that I can give you those if you want that. But ultimately, this idea of discipleship is submitting all of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's simply. Now, Dallas Willard, which the quote is up here, he says, A disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, there's that word, a practitioner. Disciples of Jesus are those who do not just profess certain views, it's important for us to hear, who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of heavens to every aspect of their life on earth. And you get this, this why we put every day with discipleship, because we believe you, it's this way of living. It's day by day, moment by moment, lived under the lordship of Jesus. So we can co- submit all of our life, our finances, our relationships, our parenting, 
the way we handle money, the way we handle work, all of that comes under the lordship of Jesus. They're not, Jesus isn't an appendage like all the other appendages in our life. Jesus is the umbrella that everything comes under. That is the way of a disciple. So let's look at Mark 1. We see this, the calling of the disciples here. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. <clears throat> now, we think of this word fisher of men. Um, oftentimes, we think of this as kind of a cute little uh, statement that Jesus used to get his point across, right? Kind of this clever statement. But actually, and I just learned this in the last couple of weeks, but this is, was actually a term um, that the rabbis, kind of a, um, oh, some slang or a, a, a label that the, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, would get placed on because they would be fishers of men. They would have these men that came behind them to learn and to grow and to study. So that, that phrase, fisher of men, what, this wasn't the first time they would have um, heard that. This was like, oh, again, rabbinical tradition, understanding. They had a framework for what a student in a, in a, um, in a, um, a master, a rabbi, um, how, how that worked. And so they were able to understand what Jesus was calling them Two. Now, this word apprenticeship, back to this, those of us who are parents, and we have a few parents in this room, um, this is, you get this um, as you're parenting your kids, right? Like, we don't just um, teach and, and, and develop our kids and see them grow by giving them information, right? You don't sit your kid down. You may do this, but this is not the most effective way, right? You sit them down, you explain to them, hey, this is the right way to do this, or we don't want to do this, right? And they don't just like hear it and then go obey it immediately, right? That's not the way parenting works. Most of parenting is modeling. Is, is, it's, it's, um, growth is caught rather than taught in most cases. Obviously, we, we teach, but our kids mostly start doing things, especially at an early age, by watching us, by listening to us when we're not actually teaching them. So it's caught rather than taught. Right now, our our uh, 19-month-old is in the is in the no phase, right? He, he he doesn't have many words, but he knows no, right? And he's now he's starting to say it with some like anger. He's like no, or like he throws something. We'll give it to him. He'll throw it across the room. He's got an arm on him. Really proud of him. Um, he'll throw it across the room, and um, he says no at the same time. And we're like, obviously, he's learned that from us because that's our primary form of discipline, right? No, no. We never say it like that to him. We're like, no, no, buddy, no, 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 all day long. Kind of redirection, right? Because he's 19 months old. He doesn't understand really the why behind it. We're just trying to redirect things. But now he's, he's caught that from us, okay? He's caught that. He's learned that from us because we've, it, over a consistent period of the last probably six months, we've used that word a lot with him, okay? We're going to start saying, honor your father and mother, honor your father and mother, honor your father and mother. And then he'll start saying, hopefully, honor my father and mother. But um, again, probably won't work, right? He'll probably honor us by watching how we treat one another and how Jax, our five-year-old, treats us. That's probably how he'll learn to honor us is through those things, not sitting him down and giving him a lesson on how to honor father and mother. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, okay? This is the passage that Jay read a minute ago. So this was, this is called the Shema in kind of uh, in Old Testament uh, Jewish life, the Shema. And this was arguably the most important teaching 
or phrase or paragraph in the Jewish world, okay? Everybody knew this. Everybody had this memorized in that culture. And Jesus quotes it in every gospel. Every gospel writer has Jesus quoting this. He says this in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. All your soul, all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And the Shema just simply means to listen. And it's more than just let the sound go in your ears. It's like, listen, pay attention with the expectation that you'll actually act on what I'm about to say. That's the strength of this word, listen. When he says, hear, hear O Israel, hear, right? Hear this, listen to this, put this into practice, okay? So when you hear the Shema, when they heard that, they would have meant teaching or instruction that should lead to action. And these three words, heart, soul, and might, um, there's a lot built into these words. I wish we had a lot of time to just dig into this. But um, heart, that first one, just means that um, it is the physical organ that gives us life. But it, really, in, 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 in this um, culture and in the Hebrew language, this is the, the seat of our emotions, the, the center, the core of who we are. It's, it's, it's the will, right? It's kind of the deepest part of how we make decisions and how we feel and what we desire. When he says heart, that is what he's getting at. And then you have soul. So it encompasses a little bit more, right? The soul is not just that this kind of floating um, kind of thing, how we typically think of body and soul and the body's physical and the soul's kind of spiritual. That's not the way the Hebrews thought of it. When soul is used, it usually means encompassing the whole individual, the soul was like the essence of a person. Everything that described a person, that's how the Hebrews used this word for soul. And then strength um, really is a word that just means it's an intensifier. It's almost an adverb, right? Those of you who are um, language folk, right? Language arts folk. Like you, you understand the grammar. Uh, it's, it's adverbial in this. And so the, it means very. And so what it's doing there in this, in this context, it's adding intensity really to the last two terms. It's like saying everything matters here. It's the broadest of the terms. So when you see this word strength, it's like with everything you have, with all your capacity, love the Lord your God. So this gives us a very good framework, I think, for what should we be thinking about when we think about discipleship. But I want to give you a more a kind of um, practical framework here. And um, I don't know if these are on the screen, but um, the three kind of components that we'll walk through today is to know Jesus, right? We want to know Jesus. Yeah, there they are. What it means to be a disciple. Know Jesus, which means be with Jesus, right? That's one. Love Jesus, become like Jesus, and obey Jesus, which means do what Jesus did. So this is going to be our outline for the rest of the time. So let's take that first one, know, or be with Jesus, Okay. Listen to, uh, the, the, again, continuing on in Deuteronomy 6, he says this. And these words, so these words that I, that I just talked about, that I commanded you today, shall be on your heart. Okay, they shall, be, they shall sink deep, deep down into the very core of who you are. And then he says, this is what you need to do with them, right? You shall teach them diligently to your children. And, and, and really the assumption here is we'd be doing the same thing for ourselves, Right? So we should teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. So all of life, all the time, our eyes should be set on God. Our eyes should be set on Jesus, his scripture, his word. As much as we possibly can, we need to have those things in front of us. And then listen to this. This is actually the physical things that they would do 
as triggers to keep remembering the, the, the word of God. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Okay, So they had things on their hand that when they saw them, it would remind them to think about loving God with their whole being. And it says, they shall have frontlets between your eyes. So there are these things that called aphylacticals, and they had these um, things out here. So when they would look, they would see, um, they would be reminded to think of God. So anywhere their eyes went, this thing kind of out here was there in front of them. And then um, verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So as you're coming into your house and as you're going out of your house, you're remembering the Shema. You're remembering this overarching command to love God with your whole being. So this was a guide and like a vision for, for their action in every moment of their life. So what I wanna, want us to, to take, one of the takeaways today is this wasn't a little box that was put in for them. This idea of apprenticeship, all of life being kind of trying to be lived in the presence of God and keep our eyes on God and our focus on God. And this idea of knowing Jesus or um, being with Jesus is really having a firsthand knowledge of who Jesus is, a firsthand knowledge of who Jesus is. I mean, I could, I could say, um, I could tell you that I know LeBron James. And I could also say, I know LeBron James, right? Same two things came out of my mouth, but one could mean I know a lot about him, I've watched him on TV, I've read articles about him. And the other one could mean, no, I just talked to him today. Like we hang out a lot, right? And when I say I know LeBron James, it's the first one. It's the first thing. It's, I, know, I know a lot about him because I like basketball, right? But when we say to know someone, like the way I know my wife, Nicole, that's an entirely different way of knowing. So when we say knowing Jesus, it's this firsthand knowledge, this experiential idea of knowing Jesus. We've sat at his feet. I spend time with him. I hear his voice. He's my shepherd. He guides me not, hey, I've read some really good books about Jesus and I can tell you some facts about Jesus and how he saved me and his characteristics and how loving he is. Again, not bad things, but those are knowing about something, not actually knowing the person. So we should strive to know Jesus. And part of the kind of the gateway into this is setting our lives up like Deuteronomy, right? This is the way to know God, to know him as father. It's the same with us, with Jesus, okay? So we need to know Jesus or, or um, know him uh, personally, personal relationship. Secondly, we want to love Jesus or become like Jesus, okay? Now, Jesus points us to the heart as the engine or center of how we change. So if you want to grow, if you want to change, if you want to look more like Jesus, focus internally, focus on your heart. Listen to Luke 6, 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks." So if you want to change your behavior, which is often what we focus on when we're thinking about discipleship, right? It's usually, hey, how can I sin less and how can I do good things more? And that's not a terrible way, but it's very, very incomplete. We need to focus on, well, how do, what do I desire? What do I want? What are my deepest longings? What, have I, what do I fear most 
deeply or strongly? What would make me say life would not be worth living anymore if I lost this thing? Okay, those are the things that, that will change us. That's the engine. That's the, the battleground, so to speak, of spiritual growth. And uh, something we need to keep in mind, especially I think in our stream of Christianity, is that we can't think our way into loving Jesus or looking like Jesus. It doesn't work. It's incomplete if we just say, I'm going to know all the stuff to know about Jesus. I'm going to kind of sit and listen to sermons and listen to podcasts and read good books. I'm going to take that information in, and then I'm going to immediately look more like Jesus over a period of time. That is an incomplete view of discipleship and apprenticeship. Because Jesus just said the change happens internally. The change happens inside. So we need to learn how to go deeper, taking the word, taking the gospel, meditating on it, thinking about it, and allowing it to change us from the inside out, which is a slow, um, we have to be patient, and often painful process over many, many years of time, right? And this is the discipleship life. This is the apprentice life. And we all know this, that knowing something isn't the same as doing it, okay? So if I want to become a healthier eater, all right, I would just go out, find the best-selling book on eating healthy, and I would read it. And I would go and eat healthy, right? Like, that's, that's how it's done, right? We, we've all, we do that, right? If those of you who read a good book on eating and it just happens overnight, no, right? No, that doesn't happen. We can know a lot about something, and it doesn't even change our behavior. Okay, we need to take that book, we need to understand it, we need to figure out, well, why don't I eat healthy? Where, when, does it, when do I have problems obeying what this book is saying? What happens in my life when this happens, okay? So knowing something isn't the same as doing it. And then even more than that, in doing it is not the same as wanting to do it. Like, right, like we, to use that same example, right, we'll read a book on healthy eating, We'll start doing it because we know, we, we, we know it's good for us intellectually, right? And we want to just do it. We want to have results. We want to check the boxes. And we may do that for a little while. It works for a little while, right? But unless we grow to love eating healthy, unless we begin to desire eating healthy, that's probably going to end. That's probably going to be short-lived because it hasn't tapped into our wants, our desires. And when push comes to shove, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to do what we desire to do. We can have self-will and we can grind it out, but we, that's a limited resource we all have. Having self-will, fighting through things that we don't really want to do, that has a limited resource, right? That's why a lot of us that really late at night, when we're really tired, it's the time we make the silliest decisions, Right? Right? We don't make good decisions the, the more tired we get. A lot of reason why is because our self-will is empty. We're run, we're run down. That's one of the reasons why. We can same thing for you, something like anxiety, right? If you're struggling with anxiety, hey, here's a book on anxiety. Just, just, just do what it says, right, and, and, and have peace. Like, don't worry, be happy, right? That, that's not going to work if you are gripped by anxiety, Maybe that book helps a little bit, but you have to internalize it. You have to think about it. You have to think about why do I get anxious and how does this thing in this book help me become less anxious? Now, there are a couple of tools that I wish we had time to go through today that I think are, are awesome at this, and I'm going to figure out a way to, to post them on our website or get them out through gospel communities in the next couple of weeks. But um, 
Those will help us get more, um, kind of get to the heart of issues. But I want to keep moving um, in what we're covering today. So we have knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and now obeying Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? So greatest teaching from our Savior Jesus. He lays out in those, those three chapters a, a, a unbelievable teachings on ethics and how to live our life in the kingdom. And he ends it with this. He says in verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Think about a foundation. You don't see a foundation, right? Foundations aren't pleasant to look at. It's not why we look at buildings and structures, right? To like, go, let's go check out the foundation. No, you, you, you enjoy the other things, but the foundation is the heart of everything. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine, the words I just said about living in the kingdom, and does, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Right? So th- there's a reason why o- obeying Jesus is last out of these three. It flows out of the first two. When we know Jesus and spend time with Jesus, understanding and getting to know him, and then we do the heart work of, of repentance and change, we should be the type of people who want to obey Jesus. And this is Jesus' point, right? At the end of the day, we need to obey him. Now, it's not just, hey, here are the words, obey them, or obey to be accepted. We know that's not true. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in our gospel talk, right? When we talked about the centrality of the gospel. But we, we, if God has saved us and redeemed us and welcomed us into his family through the gospel, through Jesus, then we are living in the new kingdom with Jesus as our king, and we should obey our new king. He says, so wise are the ones who live under the king, who obey the king, who follow the teachings of the king, and foolish are the ones who just hear these words and understand these words, but don't put them into practice. Okay, so obeying Jesus is a component of that, right? Our, our, our faith is much more than a set of propositional truths. It's about following a person. It's about following after Jesus and how he lived his life. That's a huge component of our faith. And sometimes in our stream of Christianity, we, 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 we love our doctrine. We love our, our, our making sure we get things. And I love that stuff. And that stuff is majorly important. But if it doesn't lead to obeying the king and submitting our lives under him, we are not going to have freedom and joy. We are not going to be disciples of Jesus. We may be information gatherers about Jesus. We may know a lot of stuff about Jesus, but we won't know him. Okay, so how does this fit together? I want to get really practical here. So to review, we know Jesus by being with him, by spending time with him. We love Jesus by becoming like Jesus, by, by, by becoming, um, doing the things he did in, in, in the inside, his character traits. So where like the fruit of the spirit stuff comes in. And then we obey Jesus by doing what Jesus did. Okay, so this is what we do as a disciple, but how do we do it? I want to show you a, a picture up here, a graphic. Okay, this is what I just call components of spiritual formation, and I didn't come up with this. It's kind of a blend of two other kind of diagrams. But you see in the middle there, it starts with the Holy Spirit or our flesh. And the New Testament writers, especially Paul, put out there in the letters, it seems to be our decision is to live by the Spirit 
or to live by the flesh. It's a decision we make in our day-in-to-day-out lives of following Jesus, right? And so listen to Philippians 2, 12 through 13. We'll go back to that, um, that um, graphic there here in a second. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Okay, now listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is one of those places if you just stop there, you're like, wait, Paul, I thought, I thought we were saved by grace, and it's not, because, it's not our own doing. It's not our own works that save us. So what do you mean by working out your own salvation? Okay, But notice there, we have the salvation already. He's saying, now work it out. And I think he means put it into practice. But listen to verse 13. For, or because, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the moment we become followers of Jesus, the Spirit starts working. God starts refining us, forming us, sanctifying us through the work of his Spirit. And that is really, really good news for us. That's part of, part of the gospel that we often forget, but God is always working in us through his Spirit. Now, our role is, is to work, is to just kind of get after it, right? Let's, let's, in concert with the Holy Spirit, not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit, That's a command for us, right? To live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. But how do we do that, okay? One other verse I wanna cover is Galatians 5, 16. Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So in in Paul's mind, this idea, this relationship with the spirit is such a big deal. It's this idea of living in the presence of God. You remember the, the presence of God is such a big deal to followers of Jesus. You have the tabernacle, then the temple where the God's presence was. Then you have the, the, the Jesus was the embodiment of the presence of God. And Jesus then sends his spirit to live inside of those who believe. So we have the presence of God living inside of us now. So part of this idea of walking by the spirit that the New Testament writers are always talking about is really just live in God's presence. Be aware of God's presence. Connect with God as much as you can throughout the day. Live in his presence. In John 15, four through five, we know this passage. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so part of following Jesus is abiding. But again, that doesn't put it on the ground enough, at least not for me. I need something else. So what are you asking us to do, Jesus? How do we follow you? Now, let's go back to the graphic there. Um, these are things, these, these three points of the triangle, these are three, the three components that form any human being. For example, take the top one up there, the teachings or inputs, things we consume. The things we consume form us. So the things we read the things we listen to, the things we watch on TV, our entertainment choices, our news choices, those things form us. Everything we consume on our phones, on social media, wherever, they will, they will change who we are. And they, they do that to us. So for us, we want to fill that space with the word, with the gospel, or other things and resources that actually shine light on the gospel, help us understand the Bible to a greater degree, right? So this is important. Teaching is important. Our inputs are important. So we can either, um, we can either be cons- kind of consume the things that will make us a certain kind of person, maybe a person who lives by the flesh, or we can consume the kind of things that lead us 
to um, grow up in a relationship with Jesus. But that's not complete, right? The, the down to the left, you have relationships. We talked a lot about this last week. But the other formative thing in our life are the people around us, the people we spend time with, the people that, 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 we, that, that, that we, again, spend time around. Even on social media, the kind of the tribes we run in socially can also change us. We talked about that last week as well. And today, I mean, today, and, and really moving forward, we're going to talk about this idea of discipleship groups, right? Discipleship groups, if, if, if you're new to the church, we used to call these things fight clubs. We've, talked, we've changed the name to discipleship groups. But what they are, they, they're same gender groups, three to five guys, three to five girls, and they come out of gospel community. So the first step is get in a gospel community, and then you will get in a discipleship group from that because relationships are important. Again, if you just come to church, but all of your relationships are spent with people outside the church, you will look different. Those people will form you. And the place I want to spend the rest of our time is on the third kind of leg there of the triangle, or the, the point over there, is habits and practices to the down and to the right. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. This is Paul again, talking to Christians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I mean, Paul is getting after it here. He's encouraging Christians and exhorting Christians using this athlete terminology to take your discipleship seriously. Be intentional. If there was one word that would sum up that passage is intentionality. He, doesn't, he says, I do not run aimlessly. I don't just get up in the morning and start working out my day. No, I'm intentional about what I do. I train myself. I discipline my body. Dallas Willard again says, grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. And we need to be careful to say that, hey, yeah, we're saved by the gospel, and that's kind of it, that there's no effort required after we're saved as followers of Jesus. There is effort. This is Paul explaining this in this passage. And put that, um, KT, can you put that graph back up there? I know we're back and forth a lot. But so our habits and practices, they are important. They are so, so important. And we don't, don't, fall into the trap of seeing this as, well, now you're being just legalistic. I thought we were saved by grace, not by works. No, we need to create habits and practices to allow the Spirit of God to change us. Everything we do does something to us. We tend to think that we, it starts in and we do things and those things don't come back to us. But the things we do do something to us. What we do first thing in the morning what you look at on your phone first thing. Like do, you, do you get out of bed and look at your phone first thing? That's forming you. That's forming you. That's a habit. Again, things we do on a daily basis, those are habits. Um, types of entertainment or the news we consume. These are things that we may do without even thinking about it. Um, uh, John Mark Comer, no, actually James K. Smith in his book has this illustration. There's two young fish in the water. And they're swimming along and an older fish comes along. And that fish says, hey, young fish, um, um, how's the water today? And they look at each other and they're like, water? What's water? What is this water thing he's talking about? And again, 
they, they've spent their whole life in the water. They've never zoomed out to become aware that they actually live in water. But they've been swimming it their whole life, and then no one's, it's just been assumed. And that could be the same thing. The things we do throughout every day do something to us. My example, I was thinking about this this week, is I love sports. And again, this is why this is not a, has to be a sinful thing, right? Nobody would say that, hey, watching sports, keeping up with sports, checking sports on my phone is a, is a sinful thing, right? It's, it's kind of neutral, right? But here's what it does. If I'm always picking up my phone and checking about it, I'm, I'm looking at it. And so then even when my phone's down, what's, what, what I'm thinking about in my mind, when I have mind space to think about, it's sports. I wonder who's going to win that game. I wonder how he did last night. I wonder how my fantasy team's doing, right? And we can, we can become consumed. So when we have blank space or silence, what immediately rushes in, I know for me a lot of time, is sports. And that's not a bad thing, but that's a distraction, I think what could rush into my mind when I'm daydreaming, when I'm trying to think about something else? Again, if, if, my, if my eyes were focused more consistently and more habitually on Jesus and the things of God and the things of the scriptures, those things would happen a little bit. Um, it wouldn't have that type of effect on me. I'd pick up my phone and maybe think of a Bible verse instead. Or I would just leave my phone, set my phone down and not reach for it and let my mind think about God and how he's working in my life. So the first step here with our habits and practices, we first have to become aware of this reality. Like the fish, you have to become aware that what you do actually changes you. It forms you. For, we, we tend to think of the really, really sinful things. Yes, that's absolutely true. But even the innocent, neutral things can distract us and fill that time for us. Secondly, we actually need to put in the habits and practices that will help us look like Jesus. And this is where I think that, Paul, that, that, that paragraph in Paul, we need to get after it. We need to be intentional. And again, this isn't like, hey, I need to do this so the Father will accept me. No, it's remembering the gospel and thinking about how, how wonderful that God saved me when I didn't deserve it. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. My goodness, I'm, I'm astonished by that. I cannot believe that. That I, at my worst, God still loves me, calls me his son, and there's nothing that I can do to take me out of his hands. Man, I want to spend time with him. Man, I, wanna, I, I, I don't want like, to spend all my time doing these other things that take me away from focusing on his, on his beauty and his power and his blessings and all the things he gives me as his child. I want to spend time with my father. So it's not a motivation in order to get God to like us. It's a motivation because God has already loved us in his son. And now we get to put ourselves kind of under, under his lordship and grace and experience all the things we have um, in him. Again, James K. Smith says, we habituate ourselves into new desires. John Mark Comer says this, if you want to experience Jesus's life, you have to adapt his lifestyle. To experience Jesus's life, you have to adapt his lifestyle. I would use the uh, example of, of woodworking, right? Woodworking is one of those things that I am not good at, terrible at, but I want to be good at it. I don't want to be good at it. And I've, I've read some video, I've been watching videos, I've read some stuff on it, and I'm still not very good at it. I'm still not very good because I haven't adopted the lifestyle of a person who works with wood and builds furniture and is good with their hands, right? What I need to do, I need to buy some, probably buy some equipment. I need to actually start 
building some small stuff and make mistakes and really mess some stuff up and figure out why I messed up and start spending my time setting aside um, time weekly or maybe even daily going out for 15 or 30 minutes and working the wood and trying to figure out how to do this, right? Working the wood. Is that even a thing for woodworkers, right? Okay, like even my language. I don't even know the language, but I think woodworkers are really cool and I want to be able to do that. But until I really get serious and say, I want to be really good at this, I am, it's just going to be a dream. It's just going to be something that I really, really want, right? Same thing with following Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. We want to be able to react like Jesus. We want to love our enemies like Jesus did. We want to be present with people like Jesus did. We want to have the right thing to say at the right time to help people change. We, we want that, hopefully, as followers of Jesus. But are we doing the things, are we adopting the lifestyle of Jesus to be able to become the kind of people who can react like that? We can only become like Jesus if we adopt the lifestyle. And a lot of that has to do with practices, habits, routine, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, our relationships. All those things feed back into making us into a certain person. Think of just looking at Jesus as the human Jesus in the scriptures, right? He was not rushed, never seemed rushed. We had people begging for his time, wanting his time, never rushed, not hurried, had fun, went to parties made parties better that he showed up at. He slept well. He could sleep through storms. It was clear that sleep was a priority for him. Is it a priority for you? He spent time alone in silence. The God of the universe, do you, like, did Jesus really need to spend alone time in silence? Maybe, right? Like, he needed to spend time with the Father, right? But ultimately, like, Jesus was God, but yet still he chose to spend time in silence. Do you think we need to spend some time in silence if Jesus did? He kept Sabbath. He rested. He wasn't distracted. Again, all of that, I want that. Like, I want to not be hurried. I want to be present with people all the time. The people that are closest to me, I want to be able to look at them and be fully with them and not thinking about something else, right? What I have to do or what's going on in the sports world, right? I want to be connected to the people that I'm closest to. We have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus if we're going to look like Jesus and become like Jesus. Here's some uh, takeaways Two things, really. Number one, um, I think long-term, we need to simplify our lives, like simplify our schedules, and build in the practices. So be time in the Word, prayer, keeping the Sabbath, right? Re- finding a day of the week to just rest. That's what Sabbath means. Don't overcomplicate it. Just finding a day to focus on God and rest and do the things that are going to give you life. Um, find silence and solitude. Silence is so difficult. This is the, the, we live in the worst time to try to find silence. And a lot of us are programmed to always have something playing or going on. Like even like we'll be alone and we'll need to put on worship music. We'll be like, hey, I'm, I'm putting on worship music. That's good. Maybe it is good, but maybe we should just spend time in silence and not have the worship music. To allow the spirit to speak to us on an individual basis. And have those impressions and the things he lays on our hearts when we've, when we've pushed everything out. Maybe simplicity. Simplicity, maybe, maybe you, you have too much stuff, right? Or stuff you don't really need to be the kind of person you want to become, okay? So there's hope for all of us here over the long term if we build in some of these things. But I don't think we're going to get to where we want to go without building some of these practices. In. Now, in the short term, I mentioned it, but I think even just this week, finding some silence and solitude, start with 15 minutes, and find, and, and don't, even, don't even take your Bible with you, right? Maybe it's just finding 15 minutes alone and saying, God, I'm here. Speak to me. I'm listening. I've got everything out of my mind. 
Maybe you want to take, take a Bible verse in and repeat it several times over 15 minutes and see what, how, how that feels and how that works. Like We have to start building these things in. I know we're busy. I know you've tried this before. And you've, you've, you're, you feel shameful because you've tried it before and now you've fallen off and you're out of practice and now you just feel like a horrible person. No. Again, if, if Jax wants to spend time with me and he comes to me over the next, over the previous week and he says, you know, Dad, I just, I had a busy week and um, I didn't spend time with you. I feel like a horrible son because I didn't come and spend time with you. I'm not gonna be like, yep. You're a pretty terrible five-year-old, you know that? You need to do better at organizing your schedule to spend time with me because I'm important. No, I'm gonna be like, buddy, stop. Put a smile on your face. Come here, let's go do something right now. Are you free? Let's go, let's go do it. That's the way God sees us. So if you failed at this, if you think you're terrible at this, let's get back and try again, right? Let's, let's, let's say, I wanna spend time with God. Let's, let's, um, let's, let's try to take time to do that. Be intentional with that. One thing John Mark Comer says that I love, he says, plot your character out, your character arc. Not, not your career, not your, your portfolio, your, your character arc out 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Are you doing, doing the things now that are going to lead you to become the kind of person you want to be 10 years from now? That seems crazy long, five years, right? But plot it out long enough because this thing takes time, takes habits, developing things that, to be the kind of person we want to become. Here's the deal. When we spend time with Jesus, we are growing in the awareness of God's presence, okay? It's not just checking a box. It's not just doing something because that's what we've always told. Hey, have a quiet time, have a quiet time, have a quiet time. No, we're coming and we're focusing on God. We're coming into his presence. And over time, we enjoy that. We enjoy spending time with the Father. We need to be desperate with this. We need to be intentional with this. And we need to remember the gospel all the time because that is the primary motivator, the power of the spirit that will allow us to become these kind of people. Let's pray. Father, we're, most of us in this room love you, want to follow you, want to know you more, want to experience the blessings you have for your children to live a a, a, a a life that lines up better with the kingdom of God where your son is reigning. We need help. I pray that we would remember that Philippians passage where this, the God, your spirit is working in us. He's working in us right now. If we have the Holy Spirit, he's working in us. He's, he's coming alongside of us. He's giving us um, the, 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 the energy, the motivation, the power to change. The question for us is, Will we come alongside of him? Will we be intentional with how we spend our time, how we spend our energy, how we spend our focus? Help us do that through your spirit. We need help. And this isn't a time where we heap shame upon ourselves for being bad at this. No, it's, it's, it's setting our eyes on, on the beauty of the Father and wanting to go back and, 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 and sit at his feet and learn from him and experience his grace and his mercy on a day in and day out basis. I know I need it. I live in shame and I think of, 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 of you as, as more of a, of, of a coach that is critiquing me hard and, 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 and pushing me to be better. And that is not what the Bible describes you. As a father who loves his children, 
And his love leads us to change. So help us change, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.